Open the Word of God again with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I believe you know the lesson well. We don't need to spend long beating the dead horse further. But let's look at how it's expressed here in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verses 13 and 14 that we covered in the first assembly, we're told to submit, to yield and surrender to civil government, to every ordinance that they bring up. And we do it for the Lord's sake. What a privilege to do something for the Lord. They are His men. As we submit to them, reverence them, give them the honor that they are due, pay their taxes, we do it as unto the Lord. He sees that effort. He sees our humility and blesses us for it. We do it whether it's authority and ordinances coming down from the highest levels of government. That would be our federal government in the way that we're organized or governors that are sent by Him because kings and governors have a purpose and that is to punish evildoers and to praise those that do well. And that is what government was set up for and because of that we ought to appreciate it and that's why some of the things were said in the first assembly. I hope that as you go throughout a week or for the rest of your life, that you'll think about some of the things that have been said from this pulpit already by others, some of the things that were said at break time, some of the things that were said in the first service, you will think about how much government impacts our lives positively. We like to focus on how they impact our lives negatively, but the way they impact us positively is far greater, and that is what we ought to remember because they praise them that do well and they punish evildoers. No one in here has been imprisoned recently that didn't belong there. No one recently has been fined unexpectedly by someone arriving at your door and charging you without trying to do their job and without having been pressed to it. We're just, we're blessed. We're protected. And we should be thankful and we should understand. And, And my brethren, you young men in this church, I want you to understand what those expressions are there for in the second half of verse 14, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Do not let anyone mislead you or abuse this passage or Romans, which says the same thing in the future by saying, whenever government no longer does that, then we don't have to obey them. No government ever does it perfectly And what a government does that isn't perfect, isn't right, isn't righteous, which which should be obvious to righteous men that know the Bible, it's because God has brought that to pass through that government for His purposes because He is in charge of them all. Do you believe what we often quote from this pulpit and among ourselves that the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Believe that then. The gospel we profess, as we just sang, our gospel is that God is sovereign. And he's especially sovereign over civil rulers and kings because their heart, even their thoughts, are in his hands. And he directs them. And so when things happen, we should realize like the the strong things I said in the first service about abortion. Where did abortion come from? 
You know, from one standpoint, you can say it comes from the devil because he's a murderer from the beginning. But I will remind you that the devil doesn't do a thing, not even with pigs and swine, that God isn't directing him to do. He has to ask permission if he can go into a herd of swine and cause them to run down a steep place and drown themselves in water. Remember that he's in charge. And so those expressions are just describing why God set up government. Men and women having sex and babies works better under marriage. Does everybody believe that here? Because God ordained marriage. Two parents, one of each sex, loving their children makes a family. Does everyone still believe that here? We believe these things no matter what others may say. And when people gather together, this family, that family, thousands of families, tens of thousands of families into a nation and kingdom, how do they all get along together? Civil authority. There's a ruler that keeps them from killing each other, stealing from each other, and transacting business on a fair basis with each other, and so many other things. We may dislike the public education system because we hardly use it until it gets to college. Then we like it, don't we? Some of us have greatly benefited from Greenville Technical College in Greenville, South Carolina. And their low, low rates of tuition. We have been, we have benefited from them. Right. And that wouldn't happen unless that there was someone in charge. So you can go to a private school, but it just ends up costing a whole lot more. Um, unless there's someone in charge that says, we're going to take a little bit from all of you so that there's a school that we can form here and go ahead and invest the capital ahead of time and promise the teachers that we're going to pay them. And then our children go there and they get a good education and can go on and have a transferable skill. God God arranged all this. Young men, I need you to remember that those two statements in the last part of verse 14 are not conditions that we're to look at and say, well, I don't think our government is keeping them, therefore we don't obey. I gave you the illustrations of children sitting in their bedroom with the door closed, making that judgment about you as parents. And you didn't like that because it got very quiet because you understood very easily. I have found over the years of my life that one of the easiest ways and best ways of understanding authority, especially at the civil authority standpoint, which is kind of removed, it's removed, it's 1600 Pennsylvania, it's removed from us, to, to grasp how that works in our lives and how all these verses should be practiced, the best thing to do is to apply it to some other relationship that's very close to you, like a husband and a wife. And as soon as a husband starts thinking about his wife rejecting him or rebelling against him or or always raising her hand and questioning everything or having a petition drive to tell him he's no longer doing a good job, all those things kind of take care of themselves because you realize that would not work. That would not make a good marriage. And it wouldn't make a good family if children were doing that to the fathers. And it wouldn't make a good business if employees did that to an employer. I have found that by looking at the five authority spheres similarly, things fall into place and make it easier for us to understand, grasp, and submit. It started out with the point this morning that men love the word submit as long as I'm preaching on marriage. When I'm preaching on civil authority, it's a little harder to take the word submit in its full definition. Okay, enough about that. Let's go to verse 15 and read. Let me read these three verses to you and then quickly comment on them. For so is the will of God 
that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Okay, here we go as quickly as I can justify. For so is the will of God. This is God's will. I have heard people all of my life asking, I wish I knew what God's will for my life was. What they meant was, should they go to Africa to be missionaries or should they go to Asia? Because they thought that was the only will of God for their lives. But the will of God is expressed in 1 Thessalonians 4 as, don't fornicate. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it's, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For so is the will of God. For so, so is a little adverb. And you know that I do get carried away with so sometimes. This is a so that construction. What is so? So means in the manner described. Now is it the manner described in verses 13 and 14? Or is it the end that's described in verses 15 and 16? This is a so that construction. You can look it up in a dictionary. It's a so that. Because you can see the so in the first part of the... 15 in the first clause, and then in the second clause, you have a that. This is a so that construction. It is God's will for you to submit to authority for this purpose. What is the purpose? For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What is well-doing? For so is the will of God that with well-doing. Do we understand what well-doing is in this context? It's being a good citizen. It's submitting to the king. It's submitting to the governor. It's submitting to laws, ordinances, and regulations from the top. It's submitting to laws, ordinances, and regulations from the bottom. It's well-doing in this context. We love context. We're slaves to context. My hands are locked. My mind is locked. The greatest amount of time that I spend as your pastor, nothing else even comes close to it, is staring at these passages and tearing them apart phrase by phrase and word for word. I am nothing, but it is laborious work and it's careful work that we want to do. The well-doing here is very limited to civil well-doing in this particular context. In other contexts, the same words are used for other kinds of doing good. But that's what well-doing means. For so is the will of God that with well-doing, civilly submitting to the ordinances of men, ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Oh, this should be exciting to you, brethren. If you fear and love God, which is the proper order, we fear God first, then we love Him, you should want to do well in His sight. When He tells us that we can do something well, I want to do it. He calls it well-doing. Well-doing. It's God describing it as well-doing. I want to do it. And it's to submit to civil authority in that fifth sphere of authority that God's put over us. You will never lose doing things that God, that please God and submission to government is one. There is a promise attached 
to children honoring parents in Ephesians chapter 6, 2 and 3, and it says so, God said, this is the first commandment with promise. But I can also promise you that by reading the pages of Scripture, if you submit to civil authority, you will also be blessed and honored because the Bible says that. And I started off with those verses. Psalm 19, verse 11, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and the keeping of them there is... Oh, let me hear it again. Great reward. And this is His Word to us today. There is great reward if we can embrace this and do it from our hearts. And the Lord has worked on our church. The Lord has saved some of us. Some of us come from backgrounds where we were taught the opposite of this. As Christians. We thought it was our Christian right, not only our Christian right, our Christian duty to fight Washington. To to rebel. To lay into them. To preach against them in the pulpit. I have had exposure to this my entire life. I was seven years old when I heard it the first time. Seven years old, hearing all about the Chinese communists killing Korean Baptists. Little girls, children. Seven. I started sleep. I've told you all that. We've heard men that we respected. Let's embrace this. This is doing well. I want us all to do well in the sight of God, and it's civil obedience, not civil disobedience. For so is the will of God, that, so that. If you mark in your Bibles, you could circle so and circle that and draw a line between them, because these two clauses are connected that way. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What is the will of God? That you will submit to civil authority to shut the mouths of His enemies. Now, now it's getting me excited. Instead of having a petition drive, instead of reading another dozen books like I did when I was single digits and then double digits in my teenage years, instead of marching on Washington, instead of joining the Minutemen or some other military, no, let's not go there, or joining any JBS or any other organization, instead of doing that, instead of joining the State Guard or anything else in order to fight government, let's do it this way. I mean, to fight enemies, to fight the enemies of God. The enemies of God are fought by us submitting to civil government and being such good citizens that we shut the mouths of people that say Christians are rebels. Christians are not good citizens. Christians are a threat to our nation. There are some great correspondence that took place in the early centuries of, of Christianity. In the, in the second and the third centuries, there were exchanges that are recorded for his historical sake of emperors of Rome asking about the Christian faith and what kind of citizens they were. And there are some recorded answers. Sir, they do not believe our religion, but they never give us any difficulty and they are on all counts model citizens. When, when, when I read that, and we, and we heard it from the martyrs, the martyrs, Gave up their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Shouldn't all the Christians in the world, hearing about Jesus of Nazareth being the Son of God, and that Rome killed him in an unfair trial, where Pilate washed his hands of him and did not protect him, shouldn't all the Christians have banded together, joined the Minutemen, and overthrown the Roman government? Not a single one did anything like that whatsoever. You know what they all did? they dropped down on their knees and thanked God for the Roman government. Who killed the Lord Jesus Christ? His father did. 
as a sacrifice for our salvation. I hope that you will always remember that governments and men are pawns in the hands of God. They are not pawns in the hands of a conspiracy unless you want to allow the conspiracy to be another pawn in the hand of God. Then I will allow discussion with me about conspiracy theories. As long as the conspiracy is always subordinate to God and God's just using it like one other pawn on the table called his chess game for the glory of God in the universe and for the salvation of his people. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. God gave secret wisdom for his true children to know one of the reasons for civil obedience. The Bible's a spiritual book written for a special group of people in the world, the children of God. And we just got some secret wisdom. Why God wants us to obey civil government. He just told us in this verse to shut the mouths of ignorant and foolish men. Does that get you excited? Amen. You know, we have a website to shut their mouths. Or, or do you like leaving tracks? Do you go into restaurants and leave tracks? To shut the mouths of foolish and ignorant men? No, we've got a better way to do it. We've got God's way to do it. I want to shut the mouths of ignorant and foolish men. Don't you? Come on, where's the men, where are the men in here? The men that want to join the Minutemen, go out in some state and train like the military for a few years, buy a few more weapons, go to gun shows, get everything that you possibly can, get a few parts, mail order, and turn your semi-auto weapons into fully auto. Forget all that. We can shut the mouths of God's enemies by doing this. Right. Let's be model citizens. Amen. That person has never said a negative, critical thing about the government ever. I have never heard them say anything. They are just constantly thankful for our government. Our federal government, our state government, they're just thankful. They're thankful for the IRS. I think they go to a church that has a, a document on their website entitled, God Bless the IRS. Amen. Whenever I have a conversation with the IRS... I tell them about the document. And I tell them where to find it. And I tell them that I'm very thankful for you. That wasn't always the case. It's the truth. I love this right here. For so is the will of God that with well-doing he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. God hasn't called you to leave political tracks in restaurants or to write blogs or to comment on blogs in order to improve our nation. God has called you to be a model citizen, showing all honor and fidelity to your government so that by your good works men will glorify your Father which is in heaven. That is exciting. Because you know what? We live in a nation where everybody does this. Everybody does this, and when they're not doing this, they're doing that. And when they're not doing that, they're doing this. And they've got blogs and everything out there trading with each other, making jokes about our president. I'm capable of making jokes about our president. They come to mind once in a while. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Gird up the loins of your mind. I can tell my... You will not think that thought. Get down on your knees... This is a... Get down on your knees and pray for him. When Matt Drudge pokes me enough times with with his wife, pray for his wife. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. When I was an officer of a bank in the Midwest, 
I didn't put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I stirred foolish men up because I was a fool right along beside them. And I wish I could go back and be a better citizen and speak better of my government. Lord, forgive me. I know you've forgiven me. Forgive all of us and help us to go forward. One reason to obey rulers and laws is to shut the foolish mouths of God's ignorant enemies. This should be very exciting to you, more exciting than a favorite candidate winning an election. Ehud silenced Eglon. Do we get excited about that story in the book of Judges? Ehud silenced Eglon. How long was his dagger? From here to here. You know how that? Okay, so we silenced a man. But we don't get to be like Ehud. Samuel silenced Agag. How did he do that one? With a sword. He hewed him to... Another king? Well, now, now, there's, there's different ways to take care of enemies, aren't there? I guess there's a dagger this long. And you know, Eglon was a very fat man, so that when Ehud gave him that present from the Lord, he says, I have a present from the Lord for you. And he stuck in a dagger that long. His fat closed over the handle. Yep, the Bible's full of stuff like that. As a boy, see? So I start sleeping with a machete when I'm single digits. Because when the, when the Cubans come across the field next to our house, I needed to defend myself. Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is from the Lord. Amen. No single-digit kid with a machete under his pillow is going to do much good against soldiers. Ehud, Samuel, David silenced Goliath. You know, we love the way David silenced Goliath. With a stone, then with his own sword. But we get to silence some Goliaths. Do you know how we get to silence them? Do you know how we get to silence the enemies of the Lord? Not with a dagger, not with a sword, not with a stone, not with a sling. We get to do it by being good citizens. I know this sounds like a citizenship class in your elementary school. You know, ministers of the gospel are to open their mouths and to preach the gospel and to shut the mouths of the gainsayers because it says that in the pastoral epistle, Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. But the rest of us on an ongoing basis every day in a very public thing that other people see is how do we regard the laws and the regulations and ordinances of our land? If you are witnessing on the job to someone and sharing the truth of the gospel with them, but on the way home you pass them 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, how effective is your gospel preaching? If you are telling jokes about our president based on his race, how effective is anything you say about the Word of God? God hated David's sin of aggravated adultery and murder. God hated David's sin of aggravated adultery and murder. Did he hate it for Uriah's sake? No. Did he hate it for Abigail's sake, one of his other wives? No. Why did he hate it? What was Nathan's immediate response to David saying, I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan saying, the Lord hath forgiven thee, what immediately comes next? 12.14 of Second Samuel, you have given an occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Therefore, I am going to do this, and I am going to do this, and I am going to do this to you and your family. Because God wants us as His children to defend Him in the world 
by shutting the mouths of ignorant men who open their mouths and say, Christians are rebels. Christians are crazy. Christians are outside the box. Christians hate government. Christians hate taxes. Christians hate submission. We want to prove them wrong on all those points and with our words, with our thoughts, with our blogs, with our texting, with our, whenever they're telling their jokes, get away from them. Don't participate in that kind of stuff. It is seditious and it's wrong. And a little bird of the air will tell the Lord that you've been participating in their joke telling. Let's get away from all that stuff. It's contrary to the word of God. It's contrary to real Christianity and it doesn't help us defend the Lord. Brethren, I've been around those that have called themselves Christians. And they do not do a good job of shutting the mouths of enemies in my past. You know, the enemies of of God said that John the Baptist had a devil. Terrible accusation. Jesus Christ was a glutton and a wine-bibber. But they also said that Jesus was an enemy of Rome. Pilate, we can tell that you're getting a cold feet here about crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we need to inform Caesar that you're no longer his friend? Luke chapter 23 and verse 2. Men will do that. They will look to our attitude toward government. They, of course, trust government. And Psalm 146 this morning did not have a thing to say against what I'm preaching right now. When it said, put not your trust in princes, I haven't said one thing about trusting government to take care of us, have I? I haven't said one thing about trusting them. But I expect every father in here to say to his children, trust me, I'll take care of you. I expect every husband to say to his wife, trust me, I'll take care of you. But we all understand that the ultimate taking care of us is in the hands of God. The Bible says the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but we don't trust the horse. We trust the Lord who's in charge of the safety that he might use the horse and he might not. They charged Jesus as being a competitor to Caesar, which showed their stupidity. They charged Paul and Silas for sedition against Caesar at Thessalonica. I'm not turning you to the verses. When they hauled them in before court, Jason and the other men in his house, because they couldn't find Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas were running away. When they hauled Jason in the, into that court, the accusation was, these men teach that there is another king beside Caesar. Is there another king beside Caesar? Oh, yes, there is. And see, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the God, the things that are God's in the spiritual realm, which the world knows nothing about. We have a king named Jesus in the natural realm, which they know about. We submit to their Caesar, which the next verse is going to teach us because it says as free. We are free from the kingdoms of this world in a very, in several very real senses. We own them. We own them and we're going to judge them in a day that's coming soon. But we are to use that freedom that we have as the sons of God in this world as the children of God obeying those appointees of the God of heaven that He has put over us. Your words about gospel truth are turned upside down when you speed past a colleague. If they hear that you don't pay taxes, you're a devil. Because they know that they know the statement, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Do you know the most pagans outside this church know that statement? From the Bible? And see, if you don't pay taxes, you're a devil. They know you are. If they hear you on a rant about the president's wife, they know it isn't right and it's not godly. Men creep into churches that claim to be Christians, that may be Christians, that may be born again children of God, but these men are often guilty. This is my experience in the past of despising government. They despise the concept of dominion. 
That's what it's called in the Bible. Despise dominion. Jude 1.8. They speak evil of dignities. That means telling jokes or speaking lightly about those in authority. They tell jokes about rulers. They make railing accusations that they're guilty of crimes and sins against the nation, against God. They draw disrespectful cartoons. They charge them with being parts of conspiracies. They bark about things they do not know or understand. They stop making tax payments on various grounds. They drive without driver's licenses. They refuse to use their social security number. They never give thanks for pray or pray for rulers. They break the law for raw milk. They ignore building permitting. They hunt on state property. They read the junk of others like them. They attend anti-government or anti-tax meetings. And they talk about being free men when they don't know a clue about any of it. In the name of Christ, Jesus our Lord, He is King. We are free men under Him. We are the sons of God. But God wants us to conduct ourselves like the children of God, as it says there in verse 16, and not cover our maliciousness with a cloak, with a cloak that we have some sort of liberty. I have heard so much garbage about the four-letter word that starts with F called free. Free, F-R-E-E, and free men, and liberty, and freedom. The real freedom in the Bible is the freedom from sin in order to live righteously. Real liberty is being saved from the powers and clutches of sin and into the liberty of the gospel where the law can no longer condemn us. It's a knowledge of the free gospel of God that Jesus Christ has saved us. The law has no longer claim over us. We're God's children in this world. We are a minority, but we are a privileged minority. The angels are our servants. This whole world we own, and we shall soon possess it and sit with Jesus Christ, literally reigning over the universe. But until then, He wants us, as the children of God, to subject ourselves to civil authority that He's put over us so that we can shut the mouths of ignorant men that make false accusations against Christians. Some men get in the pulpit and use it for spreading their seditious dung. Like this. We want to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and not modify it at all. And it tells me that I should be thankful for the man, his family, Congress, the justices of the Supreme Court, and everyone that's in Washington, everyone that's in Columbia, everyone that's here in, in the city and county of Greenville. Lord, help us to this end. So, do you know verse 15? For so is the will of God that. So that. For so is the will of God that. This is God's will that you with well-doing will silence the ignorance of foolish men who charge us as being rebels of government. Just like they charged Jesus, just like they charged Paul, we don't want that to happen to us. Verse 16, as free. As free. As we are free. We are the sons of God in this world. No one has any claim on us. Spiritually, religiously, eternally. We are free. We own the place. But now be very careful. I want you to think right now because you've got to think to rightly divide the word of truth with me. The Bible says in Galatians 3.28 that in Jesus Christ there is neither male nor female. Does that bother you when you read it or can you figure that one out? In Christ there is no male or female because in the book of life behind everybody's name there isn't an F or an M for female or male. In Christ Jesus there is no male or female. We are equal heirs of eternal life with our wives, with our daughters. However, 
in the relationship between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman in a marriage, the wife is to be subordinate to the husband. There is no contradiction in the Word of God. It's what aspect of their relationship and her existence are you talking about? And in this particular case, as free, we are the sons of God and no one has a claim on us. We have been delivered from all of it by God. However, while we are in this world, because He has established the five spheres of authority, He wants us as good and obedient children of His to shut the mouths of His enemies by submitting to the to the men, even base men at times, that He puts over us. So that uh, the enemies, His enemies, when they look at our lives, do not have grounds on which to accuse His religion of being subordinate to civil obedience, and the smooth operating of a national society. As free. As free. As free, but as the children of God. Yes, you're free as a child of God, but as a child of God, submit to these men that I've put over you to shut the mouths of my enemies. And do not use this liberty that I've given you as a child of God as a cloak of maliciousness to cover anti-government activities. Don't you do anything against authority or against government and try to hide it under this cloak of liberty because you're a child of God. Do you know how many... Listen, brethren, if we had people walk in our door and the first question they ask is, are you a 501c3 church? And then if you engage them in conversation, which I won't, I'll just help them find another church. Do you know why they're asking that? Because they have this argument. I'm free under Christ. Amen. As free. There's neither male nor female in Christ. As free under Christ. Well, as free under Christ, if I submit to the IRS and ask for a 501c3 ruling that I'm a nonprofit organization, then I've given the sovereignty of Christ to the IRS. That's how they reason. When Paul was about to be scourged, you know, around a post. His back's been bared. The scourge has been brought out. Why didn't he pray? Why didn't he say, Lord Jesus Christ, thou art the sovereign king of the universe, protect me from this beating? Why did he say, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman uncondemned? Did he give up the sovereignty of Jesus Christ to the Roman government? Or was he using the sovereignty of Jesus Christ by having put a government over him that had laws to protect him? Unbelievable, the ignorance of... Oh, it says that in our text. To put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I could go on and on with these descriptions that I have run into in my life, and they make me sick. And when they creep into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't make me sick. I'm no longer sick about it. I get very angry. Because it's contrary to the gospel. We do not cloak anything. So there's one taking that argument. Then another person comes along. Just hold on. Another person comes along and says, I'm a real American. I'm a true freeman. That's F-R-E-E-M-E-N, and it's combined together. There's no space between the two words. It's I'm a real freeman. This country was built on real freemen. And I'm a freeman. I don't give up my authority. Governments only rule by the permission of the governed. And I'm no longer giving them permission. I have my little estate. I am a free citizen. I will do whatever I want. 
And they will argue, they will argue the most ridiculous things, but here they're using some false concept, an ignorant, foolish concept of liberty to justify themselves politically. They're using liberty in a different sense than the text means. They're using liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. Now, let me take those two and put them together. A Christian patriot. Here comes a Christian patriot. Oh no. The greatest, one of the greatest threats to a church is a Christian patriot because he takes both of them and puts them together and says, look at this snowball, buddy. Look at this snowball. I am an American citizen. I can make the choices that I want to and obey whatever I want to. They have violated the Constitution. The Constitution is my king. I don't listen to anything coming out of Washington, Columbia, or Greenville. And I'm a Christian free man because I'm under Jesus Christ and His sovereignty. When you run into that mess, you've got an anarchist on your hand who thinks he's a defender of liberty. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say through Peter right here about that concept? Flush it. It's wrong. You are free. Jews scattered in Turkey from Peter over my signature. You are free. But do not use that liberty for a cloak of maliciousness against government, even the Roman government. Do not do that. Use your freedom as the sons of God in this world in order to practice true citizenship and shut the mouths of my enemies and adorn the gospel of my son Jesus Christ and I will bless you. Amen. That's, that's the lesson. Verses 15 and 16. So that, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but using your liberty as the servants of God, because God has told us to obey. Very quickly, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I've just got to share this with you. It's the best cross-reference for those words, as free. If you want to write a cross-reference there, it's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 22. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the church at Corinth in Achaia of Greece. And he says this, beginning at verse 20, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Whatever profession you're in, whatever employment situation you're in, when you're called to the gospel of Jesus Christ and converted to be a Christian, just stay in it. Don't worry about it. Verse 21, art thou called being a servant? What's in it? What's a five-letter word that better explains that word to us? A slave. Art thou called being a slave? Care not for it. Don't worry about it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. I mean, you can probably do more for the Lord being a free man than you can being a slave, so go ahead and get free if you can. But here's the verse, verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant or a slave is the Lord's, oh, I love this, free man. And there's no space there. I love the Word of God. Likewise also, he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Are you with me? You're a free man. You're not a bond slave. You can go work wherever you want to, but you're Christ's servant. You were, you were converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're a man's slave. Paul said, don't worry about it. So what? Be a good slave. Be a good slave. If you can be free, get free. But if, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Why not? Why shouldn't I worry about it? I'm a slave. No, you're not. You're the Lord's free man. Bro, are you with me? Mm-hmm. Now come back and look at this verse very, look at this verse, 16 of 1 Peter 2. As free, but as the servants of God. 
say you're a free man, you really are free. We are the sons of God. God owns this universe. And we own all things and all things are ours. But our freedom is not to be used, even from a Christian sense, in overthrowing that sphere of authority called civil government, but as the servants of God. See, we're free. Free from them, but we're serving God. For the third time, let me say it this way. In Jesus Christ, there is neither male nor female. You all know what that means. It means that wives still submit to husbands in the relationship of marriage. We are free, and God has chosen for this relationship, not of marriage, but as civil authority, we submit and obey every ordinance of man. Very quickly, we have a 17th verse. It has four sentences in it. Honor all men. Honor all men. Does it mean the king? The king's at the end of the four sentences. Honor all men. If I go over, let me, let me read a few verses to you without having you turn to them. Honor all men. I understand from the context that honor all men in this place, being segregated away from honor the king, which is the fourth of these four sentences. We've got the brotherhood in there. That's us. You know, I want, brother, when you were up here giving your thanksgiving and testimony about the help that you got, the help in St. Louis and the driving and the help that you got at your house, I wanted to leap up and punch the air and shout out this three-word sentence that's number two in the list. Love the brotherhood. Right. This, this 17th verse is just jam-packed full of neat things. This is how it all works together. This is what Christians are supposed to be like in the world. We honor all men. All kinds of men that deserve their particular level or kind of honor, we should give them that honor. Let me read three passages to you very quickly. Romans 12, 18. If it, I'm going to read four to you now that I'm thinking about it. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That is not just in the church, but that is with all men. Then I want to read to you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. All these verses and many more in the outline. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. See there, all men are segregated from the household of faith. We're supposed to do good to all men, but especially that subset that are the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings. And for all that are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Then I go to Titus chapter 3. And this emphasis on all men. Because we tend to limit ourselves to duties toward one another in our church relationship. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. My job as a pastor, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Now when you put all those verses together, you know that you've got a New Testament doctrine teaching us that we are supposed to live peaceably and do good and not be a brawler, but be gentle to all men. And in this place, it's all summarized with three words. Honor all men. Every part of society that we run into, whether it's a teacher at school, and you say, well, a teacher at school 
is so indirectly a, a delegated authority from the president. No. Honor that teacher. She is in a position of authority and show her some honor. Honor your bosses. Honor delegated authority. Honor servants. Job, Job said in Job chapter 31 verses 13 through 15 that the cause of my servants was very important to him. He always looked into the causes of his servants. When you are tipping, I, and I've, I've said this earlier, South Carolina only pays waiters and waitresses $2.13 an hour. Minimum wage is $7.25. You make up that difference for them. And remember that you're honoring all men when you do that. When you come to a corner and you're racing to that corner because you want to get through that corner faster than the other person who's approaching it at about the same time, slow down and let them go first. Show some honor. If men did this as citizens, the nation runs better. How do you have accidents? Two people like me meet at the same corner. I said that to take the pressure off of you. And you all know it to It's getting better and better by the grace of God. Much better. Lord, I want to be perfect. I want to be perfect behind a wheel. You know, we feel that independence when we're behind a wheel. That free man. No. We're subordinate. There's a right of way. And there's honoring all men. I don't have any more time on that. I have loved studying through the pages of Scripture the care that God's men have shown toward every level of society. Honor them all. Honor all men. Live peaceably with all of them. Do good toward all of them. Pray for all of them. Don't be brawlers. Be gentle. Be kind. Speak evil of no man. Let's be respectful of tradesmen that we hire, the mechanics that we hire to work on our vehicles or our houses. Back to 1 Peter chapter 2, where we were. This last sentence, I mean, the four sentences in the last verse of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. You don't need any explanation on that. I preach it once a quarter and have for years. Loving the brethren. Love the brotherhood. I want you to, what does it mean here? Why did Peter just throw these things into one verse? Because the gospel all fits together into a well-oiled machine if we'll do it the right way. And notice what is in this verse. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. They get, they get a different level of treatment from all men, just like I read from Galatians 6.10. Fear God, because all of this flows from God. The rich and the poor meet together. When you go out to have a meal this afternoon, and you, and you have a night, if you go, if you go out this afternoon, you go out this evening, you go out whenever you go out, and you have a nice meal, and there's that poor person that is there waiting on your table, the Bible says this, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And if you have read the commentaries that someone's written about verses like that from the book of Proverbs, you will understand that God made the rich and God made the poor, and they both need each other. The poor need the rich to invest their capital to give them a job, and the rich need someone to go wait in the tables. And they all work together, and we honor them both. Don't curse rich men. This church does not sit around and talk against Rothschilds, Rockefellers, War Bugs, Morgans, or any of those men. You don't know anything about them. They make decisions that you couldn't even imagine. They make decisions that affect thousands of lives. You do not know them. You do not know their religious convictions. You do not know their political convictions. 
You know, we have been raised thinking that they're all conspiratorialists. All of them get together in some shady dark room and light a candle and worship Lucifer. No, they don't. They built America. And if it wasn't for those rich men investing their capital, we'd still be out there with a hoe right now trying to get a row of beans in. The Bible says don't curse the rich. I'm not making this up. I've got Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 20 to preach to you that says don't curse the rich even in your bedchamber. The rich are the landlords. The rich are the doctors. The rich are the financiers. The rich are the bank, the bankers. We don't curse them. We don't run them down. Just because they have money does not mean they have lied and stealed to get to where they're at. God may have given them that. God may have blessed them with an inheritance. God may have blessed them with the door of opportunity so that everything they touch turned to gold. You should read some of their lives. But they turn that, they don't want that money sitting around. They want that money invested in getting a return. And so they build industry that gives men jobs and builds this country. Who do you think was going to build a railroad from San Francisco to St. Louis and from St. Louis to San Francisco? Do you think the U.S. government was going to do that? Who do you think has built the big factories and the big industry in this country? The government? It's private men that take enormous risks with enormous chunks of their capital to build. I have nothing more to say on that. Fear God. Love the brotherhood. Honor all men. The Bible says don't curse the rich even in your bedroom. Honor the king. And it ends up with honor the king again. We started off with submit yourself to the king as supreme. Obey every ordinance of man. And we conclude with honor the king. And it all... Why would he repeat himself? Because he wants you to know that it all fits together. And do you know the well-oiled machine in verse 17 is actually wonderful to think about? That oiled machine in verse 17 is wonderful. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Caesar. Uh, May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. I love His Word. To the degree that I cannot communicate it clearly to you, I apologize to him and to you. These words are indeed precious. I have not turned you to Romans 13. I just want you to look at these. And this is a new political science, and a new political theory for me. Over the last couple of decades, the Lord's been very gracious to teach us these things. Let us embrace them as we go out of this place. There are traffic laws to obey. There are so many different things that we should be... And we know them all. Let's not... Let's not rear up in our hearts. Let's not rear up in our hands, our feet on the gas pedal or anywhere else to rebel against authority. Let's just obey it. Let's honor all men that we meet, whether they be servants or whether they be policemen or whether they be teachers or nurses or doctors or government or governors or the king. Let's honor all men. Let's love the brotherhood that's in this room. The things that we heard of this pulpit, Jim's thanking one brother and his wife. Nathan's thanking another brother for loving the brotherhood. I wanted... That's what we want to do. Amen. We always want to fear God. And we, honor, we want to honor the king. The king that we have, God sent him. He handpicked him just for us. Amen. He's better than we deserve. Amen. Let's be thankful in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.